Well, good afternoon and welcome to Round the Table live with Christian Gazer. And today we are discussing, is the BBC captive to Stonewall? And not the BBC, various other institutions as well. Uh, I've got live today with us uh, Dr. Mike Davidson um, of the Clorishes Trust. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. It's love, great to see you. And also Karis Mosley, um, who is one of our researchers, our policy researchers um, here at Christian Concern. And um, the news this week has been a lot about this Nolan Investigates BBC report, uh, kind of ironically, into the BBC. I mean, quite a bit about the BBC and the incredible influence that this lobby group Stonewall has. Karis, sum up for us your your, your key takeaways from what Nolan actually finds in this. Uh, well, this I mean, podcast, it's this anyway. um, highly unusual 10 part uh, podcast series. Um, and so people don't have to have a license to listen to it. It's on BBC Sounds, which I think shows how they want it to be available to everybody, which is interesting in itself. And they're investigating Stonewall's relationship to um, really public bodies in the UK, including the BBC. Um, and uh, of course, that makes it sort of uh, very unusual. You've got journalists within BBC Northern Ireland, so uh, Nolan and his uh, colleagues um, investigating um, and and looking at whether this influence has has gone too far because Stonewall is not just a charity, it's also a campaign and lobbying group. And obviously the, the big picture in the background is um, that the BBC, like so many other institutions, as well as Ofcom, who regulate the media, um, have been members of the Stonewall Diversity Champions Programme, um, which is this workplace uh, equality and diversity um, programme. And mm -hmm. some public bodies have been pulling out of that. Ofcom has pulled out of it. It turns out Ofcom had pulled out of this programme while um, it was being made. It's taken 18 months to make. And there's been noises in the press about the BBC leaving, although the BBC has never formally um, admit, uh, said that it has left. So, so you know, there, there's still, there's, it's an ongoing story in a way about mm. the actual mm. relationship. Mm. And so no one's yeah. gone around um, and, and interviewed a number of people, some of them journalists inside the BBC, one or two um, LGBT activists outside the dissidents from the LGBT movement, such as LGBT Alliance and, and various feminist groups, uh, and asked them for their views and why they're reevaluating, why they have been reevaluating Stonewall. And he also interviews some politicians like um, Labour MP Rosie Duffield, who's, um, you know, her story is well known. Yeah. So yeah. it's a very major piece of uh, uh, journalism and, and very unusual. I think really it's as much about the BBC itself in various ways as it is about those institutions and the issues of, of uh, transgender gender and sex. And if you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, do post your comments and questions and we can try and respond. I can see there that Preacher Bear, um, someone called Preacher Bear um, on YouTube is saying, why is tolerance only required of those that oppose uh, trans ideology? Well, um, you're right in a sense, tolerance should be both ways um, on this. Um, but Mike, you are based in Northern Ireland and Steve Nolan is a Northern Ireland journalist. Um, what's yes. your perspective on all of this? He's in, you've been interviewed by him as well, I understand. Uh, several times, actually, Tim. The most recent time uh, was following a debate instalment where one of the ministers named and shamed us as being providers of conversion therapy. 
And amazingly, he gave... You don't, just to be clear, you don't accept that term, do you? No, we don't. And we don't use it and uh, we don't do it. Um, but we were named as providing something that is equivalent to torture. So um, following that, Nolan interviewed me and actually gave me 35 minutes. Um, wow. Focused entirely on what was going on around all of that. Wow. And and how did you how did you find him as a journalist um, from your perspective? Well, I've always found him to be robust. You know, Nolan is Nolan and that's his brand and that's his style. Yeah. Uh, so I have also most recently found him to be quite fair. Well, right. very fair both in allowing me to talk when I've been in situations where there has been a lot of opposition. Um, he's kind of fought the corner for me to be able to get a word in edgeways. Uh, in TV debates, for example, with Jay Nozan, that was, that was quite a challenge. But as I say, it was unprecedented for him to give me 30 minutes or so um, and to focus on these issues as closely as we did. Okay. And did you find him sympathetic or challenging or neutral? Well, I think he did his job in that he was able to um, show some of the inconsistencies that I think there often are when it comes to the factual basis of all of this. I was able to speak about the research. He challenged me on some things. I didn't get to respond by asking him to consider the twin studies and mm -hmm. to ask the important question, well, if it's all genetic, then how come identical twins um, are yeah. not 100% concordant when it comes yes. to this issue? Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, I think what I respect about Nolan is this capacity for debate yeah. and this determination to make sure that um, people who oppose one another have a context in which to interact. That's quite precious, I would say, within yeah. the BBC. Yeah, no, that's good. And so, Karis, a lot of the talk in this um, series is about the Stonewall Diversity Champions scheme. Tell us about that and, and the issues around it. So that's, uh, you know, it's interesting what this series doesn't say. If it's the real reason um, that it's become controversial, this diversity champions program, is that Stonewall since I think 2015 has been supporting trans rights as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, so how one of the reasons it became controversial, there was uh, a lawyer called Alison Bailey, um, who helped form this group the LGBT Alliance of people who were disgruntled with Stonewall and had been supporters. Um, mm. And she was accusing, one of the things she was saying that the, the Stonewall, this diversity champion program, um, employers, big organizations, public bodies, charities, big business sign up to it and pay Stonewall money for equality and diversity training on LGBT issues. Mm. Um, but it started in the early 2000s and it was just LGBT issues then. Um, and so it's been around for nearly 20 years. And you can see from the accounts of Stonewall, many um, government organizations um, have, have been paying money for a long time. Mm. And, and uh, so 
Um, it, but but it's only it's only being criticised by those who were its supporters and are now worried about its promoting gender self-identification, which, of course, has been rejected in England and Wales by the public consultation mm. Mm. Um, and by the government. Um, yeah. And Alison Bailey was one of the, her criticisms, one of her claims, and she's going to court about this, is that Stonewall was, you know, was effectively involved in watching her, getting her, you know, um, working, you know, conniving with her former employers in the workplace to watch her and spy on her. Um, I don't know if these are the exact words, but that's definitely what's being conveyed. Um, and so that's kind of an overreach. Um, and uh, and it's quite extraordinary. I can't think of an equivalent with other issues, actually. Um, but also Stonewall was criticised. There's been lots of freedom of information requests before the Nolan programme got um, broadcast. Um, so that, that they were ex effectively through organizations including government departments being members were, were being made to support the reform of the gender recognition act to make gender self-identification law and, and that was clearly a step too far it's a matter of legitimate public debate just like any yeah. other proposed policy and it's not fair to get the average employee signed up without them really knowing what's going on mm. so this has been gradual awareness and the bbc has now been catching up with this criticism and i think that's it's clearly what's happened it's coming from oh, I, I within the bbc who are unhappy i thought it, it very interesting that they submitted lots of fois to lots of different government and other organizations and they mostly responded but the bbc didn't respond to any of them the you bbc know. didn't respond neither did whitehall they say westminster they mean whitehall departments right um, and I think they did, unfortunately, they, Nolan didn't say which departments they'd written to, because that would be very illuminating. I'd like to know, for example, whether they wrote to the Ministry right. of Justice, which is responsible for prisons and we're having male sex offenders in women's prisons, which yes. practically nobody sensible agrees with. And, yeah. and people like the LGBT Alliance wouldn't agree with. And and lots of organisations have left the Stonewall Championship Scheme, Diversities Championship Scheme, um, including, I think, the Ministry of Justice and mm -hmm. Ofcom. And and Chal Four and various other very big corporations, um, but to sort of go to the, the question that we're highlighting today, right, Mike, the BBC is it captive to Stonewall? What's your perspective? Well, I think it is certainly captive to an ideology that um, can only be described as um, Marxist, um, cultural Marxist. Um, in the sense that it has taken on board one point of view. It's a kind of siloed view that is very difficult to challenge. And I think this is it. We don't have ideological diversity in the BBC. We have this kind of monoculture that isn't allowed to be challenged. It, I know there's been a kind of tokenism, and I've often felt like the Ofcom slot, if I can put it that way, when I've been in these debates, often with three or four people who hold a totally contrary view to the one that I would hold, and then there would be me. And very often there is very little chance to be able to have these debates. And I, so, so that's why... I feel that it is certainly captive to this single-minded ideology that is depriving us of the life and support that should be, you know, fundamental to a national broadcaster. Uh, I wanted I to see. Just... Go on, Mike. Yeah, go on. 
sorry, I, I wanted to just reflect on when we were doing the bus case. Oh, yeah. uh, in 2013 and 14, I remember the one and only time I debated anybody from Stonewall. It was Andy Wosley, who was working for Stonewall at the time. But that was the last ever opportunity I had. I did have occasion um, on BBC programs uh, to come on, and the expectancy would be that there would be somebody from Stonewall, but they didn't show up. And so I would be alone with the presenters. And this seemed to be what came into being after that particular interview on World News. I think it was BBC World News. They just refused to give us airspace and have, you know, similarly to uh, the way the Ozan Foundation has treated us, they don't want to give us any airtime. Now, there have been programs that have given us uh, space, but not ever with Stonewall being involved, which I think is interesting. Mm, I can see John Winlow um, watching us on Facebook has, has put a comment here. People, including me, he says, have been complaining for years about BBC Bars, but it still goes on and became an organ of propaganda against Christian values, the family sociability, yet it's a public service, supposedly, without bias. How come the public have been unable to change it? Karis, what's your view on this? I think um, part of the clue is that the organisations, I'm not sure exactly what the BBC are, to look at Stonewall's accounts, have been members of Stonewall for much longer than most people want to admit. It's not just the trans issue, it goes deeper. And and gentleman is right that uh, it's it's a long term problem. I think the dechristianization of society has been long term and gradual in Britain, and it's not true of everywhere else in the Western mm -hmm. world. Um, I, I mean, we, there's we have more freedom of information and, and such like we, than we did maybe twenty five years ago. So perhaps things are only coming to light now that the public can challenge. Um, I think that. You know, nowadays, there's much of a fuss about free speech across the board, whatever your political religious views. So more people are waking up to the consequences. Um, that's all I can really say. I mean, the, the other thing, of course, has been the rise of the Internet and the, the proliferation of new um, uh, media, new news media and social media has enabled more of us to be involved in discussion and research for ourselves. We no longer have, you know, BBC television news as the main kind of news. It's old people who think like that. But people of working age and young people don't think like that anymore. Yeah. I think something that is of concern is that these current um, podcasts kind of uh, are uh, based on looking at the LGB alliance they don't go deeper than that. They don't go to the fundamentals of, you know, this ideology that has accepted uncritically the notion of orientation or words such as homophobia. Um, mm. We haven't done, we, you know, we're still not getting to the root of all of this. Yes. Um, and so it's quite safe at the moment because it's just mm. within the context mm. of what has happened with the development it, it strikes me mike you know because um you know we you mentioned this conversion therapy earlier and we know that the government is planning to bring out a consultation on 
whether or how, more likely how to ban conversion therapy. And the BBC ran a news article a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, um, saying, oh, the consultation has been delayed and people are very upset about the consultation being delayed. And it was so one-sided that every person quoting the article was very disappointed, really upset that the consultation's been delayed. It's so bad. And it, it's like the BBC's become a propaganda organisation for you know, for a ban of conversion therapy. There's no, There was no attempt at neutrality in this article, for example. And why stop at the, the BBC? I think it's traditional media, because if you look at how the Ozan Foundation's Faith and Sexuality Survey was um, just taken on board by all of mainstream media, there was no critique, no analysis of that document, which has turned out to be an appalling document from a methodological point of view. So, you know, this is something that is inherent in what some have called the legacy media. Um, this traditional, you know, old media approach, I would, I would argue, has definitely been overtaken in this country. It's not the same when you go to Eastern Europe. That's what fascinates me. Mm -hmm. Eastern Europeans suss out very quickly this kind of one-sided ideology, but it mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be something that we uh, here in the West are particularly able to discern as quickly as they can. Well, I wonder if um, GB News might be, a, might, might be something of a counterbalance on this kind of thing. Um, I think, um, can I just jump in there? Um, so when you're thinking about the, the bigger picture, the diversity champions program, there's no documentation that is explicitly linked to pushing for bank and for conversion therapy, unlike the documentation that proves that institutions were pushing for gender self-ID, like, for example, the Scottish government. But right. it's hard not to see connections. So in the Nolan series, they actually name, they, they talk about the post, which now seems to have been quietly abolished, of the BBC News LGBT um, uh, correspondent. Um, correspondent and the person who used to fill that role was clearly close to Stonewall and it was obvious from their Twitter feeds they had uh, they were filmed you know fronting uh, you know, Stonewall uh, videos and things and that, that came in for heavy criticism from gender critical feminists and others uh, and, and quite deservedly so because there are rules with the BBC editorial guide I think um, about, about what journalists are allowed to say and convey they can't just convey a partisan view on their social media and we know there's been this big overhaul under um, the, the new leadership of the BBC, uh, concerned for all sorts of different reasons about um, the appearance of impartiality, but it's not good enough just to have the appearance of impartiality. When there was a role of the new BBC News LGBT correspondent, Mike was never interviewed and others perhaps with a similar view were, were never interviewed on the news. Now I managed to get hold of the job description of the news correspondent through freedom of information, because you can do that. There are things you can't ask the BBC, for example, the editorial decisions, and that's fair enough. You have to have confidentiality as journalists. But, and, and of course, so there was a, a quite a normal job description, quite acceptable, but it added something about the importance of storytelling and reaching younger audiences. And how that affected the content on, for example, conversion therapy um, mm -hmm. was that there was a lot of storytelling about victims or survivors, mm. um, allegedly which you couldn't really verify, but there was never any interviewing by this news correspondent of people who said they benefited from what is pejoratively called conversion therapy. That's obvious no. bias and it's obviously a breach of impartiality. Yes, yes. And um, I think there were some other extraordinary revelations. 
um, from Nolan, like their uncritically adopted Stonewall policy, actually outdated policy that you need to have cisgender allies, so to speak, of LGBT people would wear a badge saying I'm willing to speak up on behalf of LGBT. Very offensive actually to LGBT people that like they can't speak for themselves. Um, and and this gender bred man that was promoting very young, you know, that staff training for LBBC presents a one-sided view on trans ideology. And they all have to do this as if this is the view of the BBC, which is a, it's not a neutral view. It's totally a campaign view um, about transgenderism, um, isn't it? Um, but, you know, it is encouraging to see this kind of expose, really, of, of Stonewall's influence, isn't it, of the BBC, um, you know, coming on the back of various organisations um, leaving the Stonewall Diversity Championship scheme. I mean, do you think that this is going to help and going to the BBC might drop it? Mike, what's your thoughts? I think it, you know, a move towards honesty and embracing diversity in the true sense is bound to help because it creates the space for debate and for contest and for ideas and for scientific analysis. And anything that promotes that, I think, is going in the right direction. The question is how brave um, this new wave will be and how deep it will plow the field. Because um, at the moment, it's, you know, it's good, it's encouraging, but it's quite superficial. We need to go much deeper into what has happened For example, when uh, we exposed that the Royal College of Psychiatrists basically had misled both the church and the state, because when they submitted their documentation when equal marriage was coming up, it was easy to demonstrate that the references that they cited were not accurate in terms of what the primary sources were saying about uh, things like um, the mental health state of LGBT persons. Mm. Um, And yet that was never taken up. This is not just our opinion against theirs. At the time, there was a Church of England report that agreed with us and said that we had correctly Um, discern the fact that these um, primary sources had been misquoted, but nothing was ever done about it. And this is the issue. It's much, much deeper than just those who are doing media work. It's in the institutions. It's in the mental health bodies, primarily. All of them have been tied up by the Memorandum of Understanding on Conversion Therapy, which is, again, the product of ideologues getting together. We were refused access to the roundtable that took place in 2013 and 14, and Mm. freedom of information requests that have been um, asked for in that area has very clearly revealed that it was for example, the UKCP um, and various other, you know, stakeholders who deliberately kept us out of discussion. And this is this is the problem. It's one point of view that is being imposed, and it's 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 demonstrated in that kind of um, context. What what I thought was refreshing, though, in this um, podcast episode five in particular, I thought was very good 
called a gender clinic in Sadler Speaks Out, where they have Dr. David Bell, who is a whistleblower at um, from Tavistock, a consultant psychiatrist at Tavistock. And he's, I don't think there's any evidence a child is ever born in the wrong body. Um, he says you can't change your gender, it's a fact. He says clinicians, you know, Nolan says, surely professional clinicians will, will be neutral. Surely they won't be frightened of asking the right questions. And Bell says, well, I'm afraid they are, you know, um, because of exactly this kind of lobbying and stonewalls. He says, I don't think it's ever helpful to call a child a trans child. And, you know, all these things which are supportive of the case of Nigel and Sally Rowe, which um, we were highlighting just, um, just last week, I think, who were trying to challenge the government about trans policies in schools. Karis, what's, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I think um, generally that, the, so yes, the interview with David Bell focused quite specifically on the on the clinic, but of course, I think it was David Bell who said it's a much wider problem. And so for example, uh, I don't think it was mentioned that the Care Quality Commission, which is in England, is or has been a member of, of Stonewall. And that was remarked when there was when there has been controversy about inspecting the um, the, the general identity development service, the Tavistock, you know how, how independent and how free were the people inside the Care Quality Commission to really say what needed to be said, and that's true for just about every institution. So in a way, what's interesting because of the BBC's influence across the media. Um, and the way people can feel intimidated by it, um, for some reason I've never quite understood, um, it, it's bound to have an influence on all sorts of other institutions like schools. So, for example, the BBC um, deals a lot with education. It has, especially during the lockdown, it's had online material for children who are, are required to stay at home. Uh, and that's, you know, teachers might be choosing to use that. I don't, I don't know if it was, it would be up to the individual school to make it compulsory, but it has a responsibility. I mean, it has been promoting transgenderism. It has been promoting the idea of many, a hundred different genders and so on. Mm, mm. So, so this is not simply about the media talking about itself, although regrettably, I think there's an element of that in this series. It does have implications for schools and just all kinds of institutions. And um, may I say also for banks. So here's Barclays Bank, a great multinational uh, bank. My grandfather was a, you know, a bank manager of Barclays uh, many years ago. I think my family has only ever banked with Barclays, but they closed down our banking in Core Issues Trust and the International Federation for Therapeutic and Counseling Choice because of a very concerted campaign on social media against us, where activists decided to question Barclays about our, the legitimacy of us having uh, business accounts in Barclays. And they closed down our accounts. And of course, you know, it, it's a, it, surely it's a clear link. Um, Barclays is funding pride in London. So, um, you know, it's it's Intolerant. deeply embedded in our society, in our parliament. Mm. Um, to me, it's felt like Stonewall is just, you know, another department in the government, I would say. So rampant has been the, you know, the intention of taking on board what what they teach and preach. So it's I think it's hugely encouraging that this um, critique 
has has begun it's 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 safe and i think it 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 augurs well for the future if it continues mm. yeah and but do you think that the critique is being led by um the lgb excluding the t um of people and and is that an issue in terms you know, they, they may be contributing, and I know there, there's a special agenda there, but I, I, I'm hoping that this is the wheels beginning to come off the axles, because this business is unsustainable. This is a bit like what yeah. happened in the Soviet Union, eventually. It just disintegrated because it couldn't work. And this uh, gender ideology, I'm afraid, is just not sustainable in in society it's it's not it's going to do a lot of damage we're going to feel it probably for a long time but i don't believe it can can continue uh in the direction that it has been going in well it's too far well, from i think um, that there is uh, you know who is being interviewed and who's not being interviewed is important so you had the ceo of pink news who was you know, people commented on that, you know, as if he's kind of close to Sunwall's view, but perhaps not officially representing them. And that's relevant and, and important. And of course, you could if you if you have access to social media, which most people do now, you could look at that. You had somebody who said they were non-binary uh, for a whole program and things like that. But you didn't have social conservatives or moderate. It was all, you know, feminist or LGBT or LGB commentators. And so from the point of view, the majority of the population, actually, who's heterosexual, this looks like a sect um, divided uh, against itself. That's mm -hmm. one way of seeing it, right? And, mm -hmm. and obviously, right. there's lots of complications. We've discussed some of the ramifications. Um, but I, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied with this. To have people, you know, LGB activists defending biology. I'm sorry, their lives go against human biology. I mean, they're entitled to defend single-sex spaces, and I'm glad that they are. And many of them have always done that. And you look carefully at the history. But you had one activist who was interviewed a lot talking about, well, mm. the word mother, and you need to preserve that. And it wasn't gay people who wanted to get rid of the word mother. And he does speak for a section of that population, rightly so. And we know that from lots of other media and the debates about marriage. Yeah. But who was it who brought in same-sex parenting? Because same-sex parenting gets rid of either your mother or your father. If you were a child being brought up by two yes. dads, you don't yes. have a mother. So it's not just about the word, it's about not actually having a relationship with either a biological mother or an adoptive one. Yes. And I think that needs to be said clearly. Not one single journalist who's talked about this podcast series has talked about that. Yeah. Listen, I can see some more comments coming up on uh, Facebook and YouTube. If you've got more questions, do add them in there. I uh, just want to bring this one up. Lauren Davidson on Facebook says it's not just the mental health field. Uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch and others have clearly indicated that Lancet, New England Medicine as well, have been captured. Science has been politicized. The problem is there's a taboo surrounding any around who has captured the institutions. Transgender is a small part of the deeper ideology and the banks of the institutions are at the center of this. Mike, I saw you nodding there. Do you want to comment on that? I'm just agreeing. I, th I think I think yeah. that's right. We're, we're in deep trouble. Uh, in our society, because we're having difficulty discerning, I think, the way out of this and a return to criticality. Um, you know, I came from a South African background and I'd spent years in higher education in South Africa and going through all the, you know, all the 
all the rise uh, against apartheid and all the difficulties that people were having in those days. And I remember coming into the UK and feeling this is, you know, this is, everybody was just kind of getting on with their careers. There was very little challenge and very little, you know, rough and tumble uh, in terms of political debate within the universities. I hope that's not unfair, but that was just my impression coming mm -hmm. in uh, in 1999. And I, I think this is the great shame. We've, we've you know, and it's reinforced when I've tried to get into universities, even though I worked in the system in this country for, you know, more than 15 years, I found it very difficult to get into scripture unions, etc. Et, et or, or, well, or, I'm just, look, just let me put up this comment here from John Sharp, because it relates to what you're saying there, Mike. Um, a huge issue is that our churches refuse to discuss this whole area. The Bible is very frank on many issues. It's possible to preach on these things graciously. The groundwork of teaching sound doctrine has to happen first, but we have too much therapeutic theology, so to speak. Mike? Well, um, I think... Uh, the words of Jesus were therapeutic and mm. Jesus was a wonderful counselor. Mm. And I think counseling and therapy that is Christian based can be very useful. We, I, I feel we must be very careful of kind of dichotomizing this. Yeah. And I would be a, opposed to the psychologization of the gospel. I don't believe that we should go anywhere near that. But I don't think we should be afraid of science that looks at psychology and psychotherapy uh, from a mm -hmm. fact-based point of view. I would oppose anything to do with New Age or anything that would be, you know, uh, poor therapeutic and counseling approaches. But I think we must be very careful of pushing away the mental health field and just getting on with the gospel, so to speak, because that is what is causing a major problem here. The church needs to stand up and resist any kind of bad practice in mental health or anywhere else, but not simply isolate itself and get on with what it thinks is its task, because it's, it's the gospel's approach to all of this, I think, is very clear. We need to stand for truth, and wherever truth is, we, we go with it, and where, wherever there is falsehood, we oppose it, and we expose it yeah, for what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and um, so I'm just thinking, Karis, you know, one of the things about this is that was highlighted in the podcast is there's so different identities now, and, of course, none of them have legal basis. They can still only have male and female in, our, in British law. But there's all these other identities and Stonewall is pushing for recognition of them and even pushing employers to ask their staff, what are you? Are you are you not just male or female? Um, I don't know, gender queer or two spirits or whatever. And it, it, the funniest moment in the podcast was when Steve Nolan asked Ben Cohen of Pink News, the editor of Pink News, what is two spirit? And Ben Cohen can't answer it. And he says, what is genderqueer? And Ben Cohen doesn't know. And it's like, well, Ben Cohen, look, you're the editor of Pink News. You don't know how the rest of us supposed to know. Um, do you think this is collapsing, this idea of multiple genders, Karis? I think it won't last because it, it um, 
because it's based on totally rejecting what people who want civil non-binary identities want in law, they want rights, is to refuse to record your biological sex completely. And I mean, that's not sustainable. It's antisocial, really. It's one thing for you to go around saying, psychologically, I feel like I'm neither male or female. That's not really that much of a problem because many people perhaps don't fit a complete stereotype. But when you're saying as a social embodied being, we're all either male or female biologically, and that mm. affects our behavior, really. Mm. Um, and it, it affects the extremes of behavior as well. So mm. men are more prone to extremes, um, you know, that than women. To be, I think that's the overall evidence. Then, then you know, government government has a role and, and a duty to to not organize but to protect the population um, from antisocial behavior, and and we we know the consequences of that. So that's just not that's what wash. You know, but people of all sorts of persuasions don't, don't really like it. Um, I don't think, and I think I sometimes wonder why they've pushed this far, not just on all, but many other groups. And is it because by asking for something completely outlandish, they know that most institutions will say no, but will grant them something else, which actually is just as controversial. That is a well-known campaign tactic. Well, maybe. I, I think they actually believe this stuff. I mean, I, I think they actually do. Um, I'm just reading Dawn Bradford on Facebook. Unfortunately, feelings trumping facts is an insidious method to stop frank and full discussion of this subject. Cancel cancer prevents this also. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there, um, Dawn. So uh, let's let's wrap up now, Mike. Um, where do we think this is going? You know, we've exposed now, or that Nolan has exposed, we've been saying it for a long time, that these institutions are captured by this crazy ideology, the trans ideology of Stonewall, all that sort of stuff. So what, what happens next and what, what should we be doing as Christians about this now? Well, I think we we should build on the foundation that has or the crack in in the door. Um, the door's slightly ajar and the light is coming in. We need to help it and we need to be active in our own spheres, talking about the truth and standing for what is right, being fair minded uh, in terms of how we work with other people. Um, but I, I think you know, it, it's it's looking good at the moment, but the, we'll have to wait and see what the government says about its consultation on conversion therapy, because that is going to be, I guess, an indicator of just how balanced we're going to be in the future and how far the government has learnt um, with respect to some of these issues that are not you know, keeping the wheels on as as everybody thought things were going in in the right direction. Mm, that's a good point, Karis. I think um I think we should be careful. I I'm I try not to be an optimist. I think this is very complex, and we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. Of course, the LGBT Alliance has just had this conference, and it seems to be welcomed with open arms by the conservative um, government that wants to ban what it calls conversion therapy. And there's also this tendency to pretend that all so-called trans kids or teenagers being sent to gender clinics are really lesbians or gays. There's no evidence for that in the UK. And when the Kirabell judgment in the High Court, the judges kept on saying, complaining that the Tavistock wasn't giving them data because they don't actually collect it properly. So there's no possibility. And I want to see an end to the LGBT Alliance 
saying and its its supporters saying things that they can't actually prove like that because this is the total normalization of homosexuality and it's a continuation yeah. of this um, attitude against the body and against nature actually but the other thing i think that's important to say is everybody in fleet street is dancing around and saying isn't it wonderful there's criticism of stonewall and all this stonewall to be fair to it is being used as a scapegoat here when most institutions, most major institutions across government, plus public sector, even private sector, have been have willingly signed up to it, um, willingly signed up and paid it our taxes, our money, our charitable donations. The, the whole this is a Romans one situation. All of society is complicit, uh, even when we don't want to be. And um, and I think that is, you know, <laughs> Lord have mercy. That's what we actually need to say as Christians. We don't need to play along with this new media narrative. Um, and, and we should actually be analysing it very carefully from a biblical and Christian standpoint. Um, where have we not spoken up when we could have? What can we do now? How can we build insight and understanding graciously and truthfully among Christians? That's where I want to take things. Great stuff, Karis. Great stuff. Any closing word from you, Mike? No, but thank you very much for having me. And well done, Karis, in all that you are doing and Christian Concern. We really appreciate your work. Thank you. Well, and we've got our eyes watching very much for this uh, consultation when it comes out um, some point, probably in the next few weeks. And we'll be very much alerting your supporters and viewers about that as well. Um, listen, thank you, Mike. And thank you, Karis. Great to have you with us. Um, and thank you for watching. If you're watching uh, live or not, uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Uh, next week same time same place and uh, yes um, thank you do do follow us on Facebook YouTube and Twitter and see you again soon thank you <laughs>